Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. I'm Brian McCain, and that is... Micah Espinosa. Micah Espinosa. There's no middle initial for him, but just for Brian... So we are having a different episode today because it's just us talking with each other and talking with you. Uh, We wanted to give you a little update or report on the annual meeting that we just had this last weekend. It was really great. We all felt uh, really great about it when we were done. Usually we're exhausted, but I didn't feel as exhausted as I normally do. I think it was just... Well attended, well done. We did the team thing and it was incredible. So I asked these guys to sort of give their perspective on it. So um, I'm going to start, Micah, recapping it. Can oh, you give us a little recap? Yeah. Well, I was definitely exhausted, but Were I don't you? think I was so like drained. I think right, we were like spent. drained, like just everyone leave me alone. I was so, because we just had a great event. I think the energy the entire time was great. The people who attended were all just excited to be there. You know, I made the joke a couple times. We basically invite a hundred of our closest friends from across the state to come hang out with us for two days. It is a little self-serving, it's self-serving. at this point. So, yeah. so we had a great, great time. Um, you know, we had, we had 14 candidates at our event, which was huge on both sides of the aisle. And I'll let you yeah. speak to this more too, but like having uh, governor Polis introduce all the candidates and let them yeah. give their little, their little pitch cool. was super amazing. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the, probably the most one of the more special moments of the entire event. Yeah, uh, Brian's story about the first time he met Kathy Garcia at the liquor board <laughs> hearing was my favorite part, though that was the funniest part to me. Yeah, um, and then of course we had we had a lot of great sponsors there as well, a lot of great sponsors um, from a corporate sponsorship and also uh, camp several campaign sponsored the event. Yeah, so I asked you go ahead and tell everybody because this is a big deal. This list is an impressive list. It's an impressive list. So I'm just gonna so bear with me. I'm just gonna read these off. Uh, we had Visit Pueblo uh, in the Pueblo Chamber of Commerce. We had Black Hills Energy, Coloradans for Responsible Energy Energy Development, or CRED. AT&T sponsored it, uh, Farm Bureau Colorado, CSU Pueblo, Connect for Health Colorado, CECOM. Goal High School was there to help us with our uh, audiovisual stuff. San Isabel Electric, Much Government Relations, uh, COSA, the Colorado Solar and Storage Association. DoorDash was a sponsor this year. Pinnacle Workers' Comp Insurance. Dakin Capital, uh, the University of Colorado, Excel Energy, PacWest Strategies, and our title sponsor was Chaffa, and they've helped us out immensely this year with sponsorships. Yeah. They've been so supportive oh all year gosh. for us. Well, one of the things that we've been worried about for the last year literally has been housing, and they're amazing about how they're getting it done, how they're approaching it, how they've gotten things to change up. They were so great. We're, we've loved them. Um. And then let me also read off the the, cam- the campaigns. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We well. got we had yeah. campaign sponsors. Uh, Polos Primavera for Colorado, Heidi for Colorado Governor, Joe O'Day for Colorado, Stephen Varela, uh, Adam Frisch, Carol Riggenbach, and John Kellner all sponsored as uh, well. Their campaigns all sponsored the event as well. Yeah, 
Yeah. And we offered them every campaign is sponsored a chance to sponsor. It doesn't mean we endorse them or anything like that, but um, you know, fair is fair. So if they sponsored the event, they set up their table um, and we had more candidates than campaign sponsors show up to our candidate reception, which I thought was good. Kind of got the, uh, you know, the debate mentality of like, I hate you. I hate you. This is why out of the way. So it was just a good kind of mixer. We saw certain opponents, um, political opponents, talking, smiling, laughing, sharing drinks, just talking to everybody. And it was a very mixed crowd when it came to political views. Yeah. I loved it. Um, really quick. Tell us who all spoke. Um, oh, we had an incredible was, list of this speakers. Was, this was amazing. I'm just going to go through the list kind of quick, though. So Rick Klein, who's our, our board chair, he's also the city manager out in Lahana, Colorado. Phil Weiser, the Colorado Attorney General, spoke. Sarah, we got to hear from her twice this yep. this event. Kim Woodworth, who's the EDCC president, they actually were great um, in helping us schedule around their event that was taking place in Pueblo this year. Dave Young, the Colorado State Treasurer. Our own Brian McCain, the COO of Action 22. Caroline Traney from Chaffa spoke and kind of gave us an update on the housing situation. Um, Fallon Miller, who's with the department or the division of housing rather with Dola spoke and kind of gave us some insights about how to access that funding. That's a question we get a lot yes. from our members. Uh, Phil Rico, the mayor of Trinidad spoke and Acacia Shiflett. And we'll have to come back to her yeah. in a minute. She talked to us about what it's like to endure uh, the symptoms of long-term COVID and then governor Polis spoke and then governor Polis actually stood up and introduced all the candidates to, to kick off our candidate reception. Uh, and then we actually got to enjoy a uh, Pueblo Bulls hockey game. Yeah, that, that was night. a blast. That was Friday night. Saturday, Tony Haas, uh, who's a, a Los Angeles County Commissioner, kicked us off. And then Heidi Ganahl spoke about funding and education. Um, then Sarah Blackers again. Marianne Goodland spoke about saving the Colorado River and spoke about some of the water issues we always talk about. Uh, Mike Kruger from COSA answered a lot of questions for us. Yeah. <laughs> Not just about solar. Not just about solar. He was amazing. He did a great job. Uh, Mark Truax from PacWest. Uh, Sean Martini from Farm Bureau. And then I was the last speaker on Saturday. So we, uh, I'm going to. Uh, that was a lot really fast. It was a lot really fast. No, no, no. I want to go back. Um, uh, and then you guys can tell me what your big takeaways or your big moments. And you've already kind of talked about it. Um, and then Brian, I want you to give us sort of the um, campaign analysis of what you thought, um, what you thought with regard to uh, how the candidate, especially reception went. But so we did this crazy thing and we did it last, we did it two years ago, four years ago, where we invite candidates to introduce themselves. And those are always interesting. Uh, and I, what I want to do is it to be really authentic and we set it up to do, um, our members who are running for office are, are invited. And by the way, um, all of the candidates that sponsored, um, our Action 22 members, so that you should just keep that in mind. Um, all of our, the sponsors are. You can't sponsor um, or present at um, this and or invited unless you're an Action 22 member, with the exception of the special one with Anna Keisha Shiflett. But and we'll get to that one in a second. But um, there was this really great moment, and I don't know if you can really appreciate it from um, the lens uh, that we appreciated it is. This time of year, election year, it's just so much muck and slingy and nasty. 
But everybody, the expectation is when you walk into an Action 22 event, you leave the muck at the door and just be your authentic self, especially if you're running. And so all of our um, guests there are leaders in their community because they're Action 22 members. So people ask them what they think about candidates. So that's the other side of that. So I asked the governor, I was like, will you help me kick this off? Um, this candidate, because he had just finished speaking and it was just kind of lame for him. It would be lame for him to go, okay, I just been, finished speaking about the state of Colorado. Now I'm going to be like a candidate. So I just said, would you help kick this off? And then he started introducing the candidates and that was love or hate the governor. There was this moment, this bubble where we got to see Everybody relaxed and in it for um, stepping up to serve in their communities. Whatever their political affiliation is, they just were authentically who they were for that little moment where they weren't running. And it was um, <laughs> um, I, it was kind of a weird thing. Uh, of course, you know, he introduced Heidi Ganahl and he called he said, well, she's my second or third um, favorite candidate. And it was funny. And we all thought it was funny. And some people were who like to be snarky might have said something, but it was that moment. He was funny. She was gracious. And it was, we are all here to step up and serve our communities. So I said something to that. And then when he finished, that was his final thing too, is that he said, you know, when you run for office, um, you're putting your life on the line is what he said um, because you're going to come under fire. And I thought it was an interesting thing that he said that. So whether love or hate them in that moment, he was inviting all of us to honor. He was doing it and inviting everybody else to honor people who actually are brave enough to run for office. Yeah. I mean, nobody had anything to win or lose by it except for talking to the people that um, are community leaders. So generally it's not the standard Debate questions, the political speak, because we've all seen it. So, We're sick um, of it. yeah. So it, it was a good chance for the candidates to get out and like show what they really care about and what they're about and talk to some of these community leaders that do have influence in their communities, in counties and cities and what have you. Um, no, it, it was good. And um, it was good that Polis did that to show that it's not all um, like as polarized, I guess you can say, at least yeah, in that moment. Sure. Um, you know, but at the same time, the news cameras weren't on them. So I'm sure if they the media was covering it, it would be a lot different. <laughs> but, and, and there was some media there, yeah, but there, they there weren't, was, um, but, but it wasn't for that purpose. It wasn't it was for that like, purpose. Right? Just a breath of fresh air to see, see them get together and say like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Come talk to me. And, well, and like you said, even after, like, after they all got up and gave their little, you know, one or two minute spiel, they all hung around afterwards and yeah. were like standing around talking, like you could really tell like the politics, at least for the moment was set aside. And they were just people for like a few minutes. That's probably well, leaving to them. The yeah. candidates were asking more questions than being asked, which is always good. So they yeah. were like, you know, what matters to you? What are you seeing? You know, what's your thoughts on this versus the other side where it's generally people saying like, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do? And, and part of that is that the majority of people at the reception and the meeting on the first day, you know, they, they already know what the problems are and what the issues are and they know where candidates stand. So they were really picking their brains about um, how they're going to address these things, which is good, which is how it should be. Yeah. Um, so besides, um, and for both of you, besides the, um, that moment in that reception, where something that's really stuck out to you, 
that it's going to be your your takeaway or your big keep? I mean, that was my first one was just the way all the how gracious every one of the candidates mm-hmm. were at that at that point to kind of close out our Friday meeting. Um, and then, of course, we gave awards on Saturday. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we haven't done that before. You know, we haven't done that in years. And I was I was surprised how grateful, flattered all of the recipients of those awards were. I mean, I didn't like I didn't think it was that big of a deal, honestly. And the reaction we got was it impressed me a lot just how much that meant to those individuals. So tell really quick who the awards went to. And well, yeah, say what the awards were and then. Well, you can explain what the awards were. So we went with, um, and it was just me trying to get through this part. And, you know, I, I designed so much of what we do as far as our events go by what's been going on in my brain and also my attention span. So that's why everything goes really fast and nobody talks for more than 20 minutes. It's just, but da, 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 da. Um, but we, there was a quote that kept coming to my mind. Um, Societies grow great when old men plant trees under whose shade they will never sit. So the Greek word for trees is dentros. So we gave the dentros awards and it was people who stood out to us, to our team uh, this last year and also our executive team because uh, our chair Rick gave a, um, the, a chairman's award, but it was people who have that altruistic approach to leadership where everything that they do really is, for the coming generations and what's next for Colorado and how um, it helps Colorado to endure um, and be an enduring presence. So that was the whole, that was the premise of the awards this year. So, well, and so we, we gave out six awards. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chuck Staggerwall, who's been a member of our board for the duration. So he's the old man planting the tree. Yeah. And then Kathy Garcia, who actually started action 22 yep. and every, week or so we find something else that she did just to set us up for success right now um tony salazar who's actually uh, a government relations community outreach person for the university of colorado caroline Traney with Ch- with chaffa uh, janelle quick who is with the pueblo hispanic, hispanic education, education foundation foundation yeah. pueblo hispanic education foundation and then uh abel chavez who has been involved with so many things throughout the community for so many years that we just, we had to really give him credit for all those efforts. Even now when he's not, he's just doing it just because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So we loved, we loved all of them. Um, So we gave them those awards. And um, so what was your highlight, Brian? Um, I think out of the whole thing, the candidate reception was good just as a breath of fresh air, like I said, to get away from the campaign side of it a little bit. And just kind of talk to people for an hour um, and then go over to a hockey game with everybody and see them, you know, yell and cheer for a Pueblo team against the Utah team, which I, I guess Pueblo lost. They it, did. You left a little bit early. It was a great. So I should have stayed. That, yeah. That's basically it. Um, it was a great game. The, the, the second day was um, – it's always a different audience on the second day. So, you know, I think the majority of the people showed up the first day to see the candidates and hear that. Cause you see people like trickle in at four instead of. Right, you know, right, nine. right, right. Um, but the second day was more informative. And I think there were some issues that were brought up, whether it was uh, energy or water, which are two of our biggest things in our district and also renewable energy with solar. When um, Mike Kruger got up there and spoke about, um, the solar industry and where it's going and where it can go. I, th- I think that was very important because 
afterwards. So the first day, nobody cared about the slides like at all. Like nobody came up. So, Hey, can I get a copy of that? The second day, everybody came up and asked for copies of all the slides and information that was put out. So I think the second day was more informative, but I liked how it was split up. Like I always look at day one is the entertainment. And then like day two (laughs) is the homework, you know, like the, the people that are really interested and have a stake in, in certain things, you know, they, they always show up or stick around for day two. So I, I appreciate that. I'd like, I'd like the split too. So it's, you know, come be entertained on Friday and then Saturday it's like, I don't want to wake up early, but then everybody else made this trip to the second day to yeah. Yeah. get this information that they consistently ask for request and have a stake in, which is good. Cause nobody else provides that in one stop, like a, a one-stop shop for water, energy, building codes, what, whatever it is. It was a good solid day of information for a lot of our communities in Southern Colorado. So on the second day, um, we had, again, I design, we designed that so that it, um, is a little more food for thought. Um, and which is actually ends up being, um, really important for these, these community leaders that, that come. So we had, um, uh, we had actually asked Tony Haas to, to start us off, um, on that day. And he talked about, um, some really important stuff, but, um, everybody's always a little bit, I always get some raised eyebrows, on um, for our Friday, our Saturday portion of it, who we've asked to speak on what, because not everybody agrees with everybody, um, that gets up there and speaks. So we had, we had energy people, um, you know, like oil and gas people up there with uh, solar people. Um, and then we also talked about water and we talked about the powerhouse that is um, ag, the economic powerhouse that's ag um, and how all those things relate. So, um, so the other big takeaway for me was I got for the first time ever a standing ovation for my comments. Looks like the first standing ovation I've ever had. I was so shocked. I didn't even know how to react. Um, and I felt kind of stupid afterwards because I was like, I think I curtsied at one point because <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a dork. Um, but what I did is, as I was trying to prepare my comments, I, uh, you know, for the next day, I was thinking so much about energy. One of the things that is weird about my brain is whatever everybody, the media or candidates or everybody else is talking about, I'm looking for what they don't talk about. We do that all the time. I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist maybe on that, but there's been so much going on in the energy world that I was really concerned about, but I'm not an energy expert, but I'm looking at several things that are happening. And I I wanted to go through this with you and then I'm just going to share some of the thoughts, the remarks that I gave. So um, during the last legislative session, and that this is just the last le- legislative session, this is why I'm concerned because in 21, there was some other stuff. So every year there is more um, regulations, more air quality control commission. Um, now air quality control commission has commissions that they, that um, contribute to theirs. There's layers and layers and layers. This whole thing about, um, moving in that direction and it's legislation or it's governance through rulemaking instead of through legislation. And it's a concern. There were two bills that really stood out. Um, and then one other thing that's going on really quick. And then I'm going to, I'll get into this. And it's just 
So this is a little bit of a rant and you guys jump in with your comments at any time because I don't want to be the only one ranting over here. I know you guys feel the same way. Um, House Bill 1244 was a new program to regulate a subset of air pollutants. So this is um, that we're the most highly regulated. We do the best job of anyone in the country. Um, subjectively, we do the best job of anybody in the country on protecting and um, looking at the regulations on uh, for not only just air quality, but also um, for energy production. Um, so this is just one of several. We pushed back really hard on this one. Um, we made no headway. This other one we also pushed back on. Um, we made some headway, but not important enough. This was um, HB 1362, which was the building greenhouse gas emissions. Now, um, this is an energy that it's to create another energy code board. This is a statewide building. Um, and this new energy code board, in addition to air quality control commissions, um, CDPHE, everybody else, this is yet another board. And their job is to create two model codes requiring local governments and certain states to adopt and enforce um, codes for forced electrification. Now, here's what we were able to accomplish on this. This is for counties that are 30K population or more. And to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, um, grants um, are there are grants available available for public buildings now even though this 30k plus only affects three of our 22 counties we still have to address it because these are the counties that drive um, a lot of um, the housing the investments and all that um, that are going to be happening in this next little bot. They're going to provide the workforce for any energy development there. They provide the workforce for a lot of things. And that's um, Pueblo, El Paso and Fremont counties. The rest of our action 22 counties would not fall underneath this, although they can apply for grants. Um, but um, to do this and if they, but they choose to, they're not going to be required to. Now, the other thing, while all that is going on, the Colorado PUC is um, instituting clean health pl- or clean heat plans. Now, keep in mind this is separate from the clean heat plans that they are requiring utilities to push that provide gas. So, if you provide gas anywhere, you have to have a clean heat plan. Now, we saw some really great clean heat plans come out of this, um, and it was. This wasn't voluntary, but the plan, what they were going to do for their plan was voluntary. We saw XL Energy, for example, come up with a clean heat plan that would make, and this is just for gas, natural gas cleaner. Uh, and they, one of the things that they are doing and that they will be doing, it, because it was approved, um, was uh, making natural gas net zero. Um, it's kind of amazing cutting-edge technology. But this is separate from that. This is a an environmental justice push for um, marginalized communities with um, more impact from environmental um, concerns than your normal um, communities or, or populations, I guess. So here were my questions, because I'm not – 
Again, I am not an energy expert. And so when I try to figure out where all this, how this all intersects and what's really going on for us with Action 22, something comes up and the first thing we ask is what's our objective? What are we trying to accomplish? What matters most to those we serve? What does our community need from us? So what are we actually trying to accomplish? This is the question I ask. So this was sort of how we're going to go through the stream of consciousness of questions that I had. So with regard to energy policy, what exactly is the objective? Is it reducing carbon emissions? Is that our ultimate objective? And if so, which aspects of that strategy toward that objective are worth discussing? So which are we trying to achieve? Green energy um, or 100% renewables? That's a really big difference. And more importantly, why? Colorado is a state and as citizens, what is our responsibility truly toward reversing climate change? So what are we supposed to be doing? And at the same time, what's our responsibility for toward Coloradans in all of this big picture? Do you know that Colorado contributes 1.7%, only 1.7% of the total carbon emissions for the entirety of the United States? Are any of the decision makers that are making energy policy for Colorado taking that into consideration? And why are the decision makers making the decision? After all, we asked everyone about wolves, which only affect about 2% of Coloradans, but energy affects every single one of us. So why are we not all involved in the decision making? If it's good for wolves, why isn't it good for us? Um, of the 1.7% of the total carbon emissions that Colorado is responsible for, what precisely is responsible for those emissions? Is it transportation, heating homes, businesses, producing electricity? What percentage of the 1% are each of those responsible for? And what difference would we actually be making on overall emissions if we were forcing electrification across the board? That's the plan right now is to force electrification. With big efforts now being made against natural gas, how much does eliminating that particular source from our new energy portfolio actually reducing carbon emissions? If we take natural gas out, what difference is it making? When we re read the EPA report on how to reduce emissions, they list natural gas as the most effective tool for this kind of transition. So is the EPA incorrect? If we don't know the answer to those two questions, how can we possibly be held accountable, either negative or positive? How are we going to track that impact? So when we talk about what is our responsibility, how are we going to know if we don't have any kind of baseline? Um, is it, and I've got to ask this question, is that actually the intent not to track progress or not be able to make improvements? Should we, along that vein, mandate an economic impact study along with environmental impact studies? And should we be including an ROI or return on investment in those studies for both impacts on the environment and impacts on the economy? If we did that honest investi investigation, could it possibly yield breakthrough technologies while making sure that efforts have a positive bottom line both on the environment and the economy, like we've seen with the challenge to XL Energy and now they're coming up with net zero natural gas? Why can't we strive to be the environmental technology leaders? Why can we not strive to be the environmental technology leaders? And what, without calling anybody names, is the alternative to that? 
With regard to cost of development and prices inflicted on the end user, what is the cost-benefit analysis and how do we actually track the actual cost? What impact are new regulations having on the housing crisis? When compared to past initiatives like asbestos abatement, how much is regulating every aspect of building exacerbating that crisis? And when considering the overall cost, would it not be more prudent to invest in the technologies that will make energy cleaner and at, instead of asking everybody to completely rechange or redo their building codes statewide in the face of one of the worst inflation crises we've had in decades? So why is an all-of-the-above approach for clean energy not the primary objective? Why is the push for renewables being considered as the only option? If we're really serious about being leaders in our community for clean energy, why are we pigeonholing ourselves into one option? Is the investment and focus on energies like geothermal um, or, or hydrogen not being pursued more rigorously because that's not making as much money? Does the United States and indeed Colorado not already employ the clean, cleanest practices in energy production? And if so, why would we ever trust another country, especially like Venezuela or Saudi Arabia, to produce energy for the world? How is that helping the climate? Are we really okay to outsource something as important as clean energy to our adversaries? If protecting the environment is the moral right, then how can passing the job of clean energy production off to someone who does not have our same morals with regard to this issue ethically okay in any way? And speaking of energy security, why is it when I ask the question about timelines for energy transition, the response very, very wildly depending on which energy source the person I ask is most invested So let's talk about intellectual integrity for just a moment. When we pat ourselves on the back for a push toward electrification, are we honestly taking into account the impacts resulting from things like battery production? And if we're serious about finding solutions, why do we not engage the ag community in the discussion? Have they not been the stewards of the land for generations? Or do we really believe that those operating in urban sprawl are better decision makers for the resiliency of the land than our ag producers? And if we're being honest about the disparities of impact from a social justice perspective, why are we not having an honest discussion about the financial burden forced electrification would have? Simply put, if we were serious about driving equity, would we not be pursuing those technologies which would simultaneously expand options, make energy cleaner, and make accessibility and affordability our primary objective? Along that vein, should we talk about jobs? As Coloradans, are we not capable of using these clean energy technologies and clean energy production as an effective mechanism for increasing jobs and providing real financial security that contributes to the overall good? Can't our leadership be both? Do we not believe enough in ourselves? Do we not believe that we're capable of something like this? Or how about this one? Why have we, as citizens and Coloradans, allowed energy to become such a partisan political football? It's our fault that that's the case. How has that been productive? Now, keep in mind that Colorado weather does not care what party you're in. So what happens in the middle of winter in Colorado when a grid collapse, when the electricity goes out after forced electrification has eliminated other heating sources? How much demand or how much, I'm sorry, how much damage or loss of life has to happen before forced electrification becomes unreasonable? 
And what about unintended consequences of other or other negative impacts that occur when a grid does go down? Why is one of the biggest threats to national security failure of the grid? I've heard people say that it's not possible, but it's one of the biggest things of, of concern on a national security level. How far are we really from something like net zero natural gas? Is it really justifiable to disregard a clean energy source when the greatest scientific minds and innovators of our age, and by the way, the last and current president of the United States, are embracing just because it doesn't fit into an outdated political agenda? Do you know what energy source I'm talking about? Why are the influencers on decision makers with regard to energy policy and paid political pundits instead of scientists and technology innovators? Let me ask that again. Why are the influencers on decision makers with regard to energy policy paid political pundits instead of scientists and technology innovators? And while we are at it, if we were really serious about transitional energy, why are we not giving more support to communities who are trying to do this, especially in the rural space where resources necessary for renewables are, re- uh, are abundant? All right, I'm going to answer these questions for you. <laughs> okay. One by one? Or? No. When you move to Colorado, where do you think of moving? I don't know. We've been here. I've been here for so many generations. Yeah. yeah. Somebody somebody from outside of the state, when they think of Colorado, what do they think of? Name the city. Denver. Denver, right? Okay. So Denver is what, the 19th or 20th most populous city in North America? Okay. Somewhere around there. Fair. What's one of the most polluted cities in North America? I'm guessing Denver still. Denver. (laughs) Yeah. Denver's number seven. As the and, and it goes up, it goes it goes between like four and you know ten. So so you, where do the majority of policies and laws and legislations originate from in Colorado? Denver. So you have all these people based out of Denver, and they keep getting slammed on the news as Denver is one of the worst polluted cities in North America. So where the the most popular and Fort Collins is like number 18, I think. Yeah. So, and it's not even in the top 20 for largest areas. So you have these people that are sitting in Denver, Boulder, Fort Collins that are basically running legislation, policies, everything. And the way they see it is we're very polluted and we need to do everything we can to get it down. Now, what they're not taking in account is Colorado as a whole is like one of the least contributors mm-hmm. to climate change. Um, I don't think Denver's pollution stems from energy production or energy development. I think that it's a transportation issue, and I think I think it's like 50% of carbon emissions in Colorado come from transportation, and Denver is one of the most heavily um, congested cities in Colorado. It is the heaviest congested city in Colorado when it comes to transportation. We saw this, you know, five years ago when there was this push to ban trucks from Denver and you know, yeah. all this fun stuff. But I, I really think that why Action 22 is important on this is because everybody that's developing these policies, making these policies, drafting this legislation, they're based out of the seventh most polluted city in North America. And in this city, you have low-income areas where people are impacted negatively by pollution, right? So the big thing you hear is um, pollution, climate change, carbon emissions, whatever. Um, 
contributes to asthma, health problems, specifically among children. So again, these people that are trying to fix this, they're looking at Colorado as if it's Denver, which is one of the biggest, you know, the, the, the front and center mission of Action 22 is to say, hey, Southern Colorado is not Denver. You need to work with us on this. It's different. We need to collaborate on a lot of things. You need to pay attention to us. Um, it's not a one size fits all, but when it comes to emissions, energy, production, um, pollution, anything like that, they are looking at this from a Denver lens. So if you go to like, you know, look at this from a lens of equity, they're literally looking at this problem through a lens of Denver, not a lens of Colorado. And I think that's where a lot of this is coming from right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you just a little bit of pushback on this, not you, but um, the topic, the topic. So you're right about transportation being um, the worst um, part of that. It's interesting to me, though, um, the governor a few or a month or so ago was really trying to make this point. Um, and the and the people who are working on climate change, they didn't get behind him on transportation is the problem. So let's fix it. He proposed a lot of different things. He's gotten a lot of pushback on um, the transportation funding bill um, that he that he got done because and um, we saw a lot of that money was to go to roads and bridges, but then a lot of it was to address the climate change. I've got to call bull crap on, on these guys who are talking about it. They're, they're ignoring really important pieces like what you just described. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were serious about that, then I would think that they would try to work with people, especially if they're on, it's somebody that's on their team in a position of power that is saying it's transportation. We need to work on transportation for the Denver area instead of turning around and saying, Oh, the ag community needs to fix what there what's going on in their space or the rural community needs to fix what's going on in their space. Why are they not saying let's try this here and see if it makes any kind of impact before we go statewide with it? Why is it an, it's an all or nothing on whatever approach how do they rationalize that? Because it'd be like the federal government saying that Colorado can't do something that they can or can do something. It would be like the federal government saying, Colorado, you have to do this, but the other states don't. So these policymakers, they're looking at it. They can only work in a statewide, um, like a statewide platform. So any changes that they make has to be statewide. They can't concentrate it on Denver or Fort Collins or Pueblo or Springs. Now, the local people can. So what would need to happen would be like, hey, Denver, get your ducks in a row and clean this up. Um, That was a really nice way to say that. That goes to the, yeah, that, that goes to the local government, which they won't do. Because if you look at it from a political lens, if Denver, if the mayor of Denver or the county of Denver, and, and it's it's kind of difficult too because it goes over county lines and there's different different towns, municipalities and stuff in the Denver metro area. So if the mayor of Denver comes out and says, all right, man, like our transportation is messed up. So we're going to say you can't drive trucks like they tried to do a couple of years ago and everybody freaked out or, you know, we're going to um, do forced electrification just in Denver. What's going to happen is there's going to be like, screw that, I'm moving. I'll right. move to Douglas County or I'll move to Pueblo or whatever. So the local governments can't do it, but the state can. So it, it's kind of, again, it goes one size fits all, which is not the case in anything. 
And Colorado's economy and demographic is so diverse that, you know, what's good for Denver is not good for Springs, is not good for Pueblo, is not good for Lamar. But <clears throat> nobody on a local level is going to initiate these changes because it will be detrimental to their constituents and the people there. So they rely on the state to do this. And where do you have the most people? It's Denver. So the the voters are saying, like, hey, we're we're like pissed off about being polluted do something about it. And then you have the elected officials or the appointed officials say, we will, we're going to do that now to appease the population, the large population center at the behest of the rural population is what's happening. So without any clear objective as to what they're actually trying to do, how can they ever say, okay, our job is done. Let's move on to something else. It's good job security. They can't. Yeah. That, that's another part of it too. It's um, they, they really can't because it's like anything that lives in uh that's amorphous, like when it comes to energy, climate change, um, equality, equity uh, you, you can even look at anything, take any type of right that is a privilege or expected or not. It's consistently, in a kind of like a, um, like a static chamber, I guess you could say, like there will never be an end game to it, like at all. Like it it constantly moves, the goalposts constantly move. You either shift one way and you shift more, you shift one way, you expect more, but it rarely goes back the other way. Right. And and that's kind of what we're fighting for here. It's like, you know, this doesn't work down here. Um, honestly, this is not a good thing for us down here. Maybe great for Denver, get that pollution down in Denver, but for La Junta, for Alamosa, it doesn't work. And, and, you know, frankly speaking, Denver can afford this. We can't. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, it couldn't be more true. You know, Micah, you, I loved your comments, um, the the presentation you did on, on Saturday, because you talked about equity, but you talked about um, what are the, looking for the balancers, looking at it from a, an asset liability perspective, and equity is the balancer. What do you have to put into place to balance that? But it applies to all of these things. It applies to energy. It applies to yeah. water. It applies to social justice. It applies to all of that. Right. What's the, what's the balancer? For energy, because this is killing us. Well, I mean, because well, the point I was trying to make on Saturday was, you know, you first have to really assess what the liabilities are towards improvement and then what are the assets, you know, what do you have going for you? And so, I mean, to me, and I like what you said about intellectual integrity. I mean, there's like a logical aspect to this. We're like, what's our biggest contributor to the greenhouse gases, to whatever, you know, um, emissions? Like, what are the biggest contributors? Like, let's address those first. That'd be the easiest places to address it. And we're just not doing that. Transportation. Yeah. I mean, it it, it feels almost rhetorical to say that. Yeah. But at the same time, Denver did try to address this. Right. And then we have one of the worst public transportation systems in the the country. You know, that was the idea behind it is like, they saw this coming and and it's always been a problem. It's like, okay, let's put in the light rail. Let's uh, have a great public transit system with buses, Mm -hmm. you know, the train, everything like that. And guess what? They kind of messed that up because it's terrible. I mean, from crime to like bus drivers running over people, which happened. Oh my gosh! As as you're talking about, I keep thinking about how Utah shifted their transportation programs a lot the last couple years. Where um, because the way Utah is situated, you know, Salt Lake is right up against the mountains, 
and they get what's called an inversion where that cold air just sits right on top of the city. So, like, even though they don't, aren't quite as congested as Denver, the pollution is, what, like, visibly, literally, you can see this brown cloud as you yeah. come into Salt Lake City. Right. And so they do a lot with their transportation. Like, they obviously beefed it up a lot. They, they expand their options. But they do a lot of um, free transportation. They'll do days and months and weeks yeah. of free transportation to incentivize people using that instead just to get people off the road because all the, like, the buses and the light rails and stuff, they're all electric. <laughs> well, but so they know what the objective is. They say, yeah. this, what we're trying to do is do this, so we're going to do this. This is not what we're looking at no, when we no, look at, at that. It, it, it drives me No, but, but that's where this is coming from, and that's, that's where it impacts us down mm-hmm. here. Like, that's not what this is that we're talking about, but it kind of is because it stems from that. It, it's literally cut down pollution, cut down emissions, do this, so we all have to do it in Colorado, but, you know, it's like – we're being punished for the sins of somebody else right. in rural, Col- rural right. Colorado is being punished by the sins of Denver or for the sins of Denver is what it really is. I think, and just, no, no, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And it's not anything that we can um, fix right now. We just have to be this, a stronger voice and we need everybody to add to that voice and help make that happen. Cause that's the other thing. Um, so we're out of time. Um, the election, uh, when you hear this episode, the election will be just a, a little over a week away. Um, we we figured that you've probably already turned in your ballots, and we'll f- follow up with this when we see um, what the outcomes of this election are because uh, we're going to have to get into this fight a lot bigger and with a lot stronger voice than we have um, even in the past, even though we've been working on this, but it, it goes the same that we're looking at the same thing, whether we're talking about energy, um, economic disparities, um, social disparities, water, ag, all of those things that very much are concentrated in the action 22 footprint. This is the same thing that we're going to have to battle and fight. So with that, thanks everybody to who came out to the action 22 annual meeting. We loved seeing you We really, it is self-serving that we're with a hundred people that we, um, our favorite people from around the state that come and spend the time with us. Um, Chad Vorthman, I know you're listening. Um, Will you please help Sean Martini feel a little bit better? Um, we picked on him just a little bit when he was down. and He you was know, so brave. He was so brave, and he knows you know how that feels. But on his recovery and just sort of healing from that experience, if you'd help him out because you know what that's like. Thanks so much. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.